Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good afternoon to those of you in the United States in the Eastern area. Uh, good evening to those of you in areas of Europe that are listening to the show now, um, and some parts of uh, Australia, obviously. Um, today, uh, I have two co-hosts with me today, uh, Aaron, also known as Stormcloud, Stormclouds Gathering, and Ray Powell, who you may remember from the conversation uh, about the quest of life for Ray Powell. He's also been on a lot of my YouTube videos. Um, if this is your first time listening to V Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org. There you'll find lots of archives of other shows uh, with activists, uh, politicians, the few good ones, uh, documentary filmmakers interviewed, scientists interviewed, and lots of great roundtable discussions, very similar to the one that we're talking about today. This is also kind of an extension of my daily news that I plan to be doing, which is arguably not going to be as original. I'm going to kind of pick some articles from the news that are relevant uh, to a certain topic and, and talk about them. Sometimes I will have a roundtable and sometimes I will not. Uh, Summer Perry will be joining me again as a co-host uh, very soon, but she is moving, so she is currently too busy to be able to do that. Um, let me start off, first of all, by going ahead and having my uh, two co-hosts introduce themselves. Let's start with you, Aaron. Greetings, everybody. Uh, and my name is Aaron Hawkins. Um, website is stormcloudsgathering.com. Thanks and, for having me on. Yep, no problem. And Ray Powell? Hello, Ray Powell. Uh, IT geek and uh, and wannabe know-it-all. And <laughs> you can uh, you can go to my uh, my IT company, startbutton.com. All right, excellent. Now, um, gentlemen, I'm going to actually kind of start this with a... Uh, audio recording of uh, one of my favorite videos that I've recommended many times here on V Radio. And this is essentially an audio version of How to Create an Angry American. Um, I have this recorded uh, on the Blog Talk server, so we will see how it sounds. And if there are any problems, I apologize to people because I can't test these ahead of time. But um, if you haven't seen this video, you can easily find it by Googling How to Create an Angry American and any time, uh, and it, it amazes me actually that I still have these conversations with people. But any time I'm arguing with people who still believe that you know they were uh, either still believe that Iraq was involved in 9/11, which actually happens, you'd be surprised, um, or uh, people who don't believe the Bush administration lied about it, I generally just link this video. And usually, unless the person's really, really dogmatized, the conversation ends there. But here we go. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it, and uh, and that uh, we will in fact find um, uh, weapons or, or evidence of weapons programs that are, are conclusive. I don't think we'll discover anything myself. It appears that there were not weapons of mass destruction there. You said you knew where they were. I did not. We know where they are. They're in the area around uh, Tikrit and Baghdad and, and uh, east, west, south, and north. Well, first of all, I, I haven't lied. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. You're talking about lies and your, your allegation that there was bulletproof evidence of ties between Al-Qaeda and Iraq. Was that a lie? Intelligence gathered by this and other governments leaves no doubt that the Iraqi regime continues to possess and conceal some of the most lethal weapons ever devised. The 
Are people going to find out the truth? And the truth will say that this intelligence is good intelligence, no doubt in my mind. I don't know anybody that I can think of who has contended that the Iraqis had nuclear weapons. And we believe he has, in fact, reconstituted nuclear weapons. Saddam Hussein is determined to get his hands on a nuclear bomb. We cannot wait for the final proof. He's got him. He's got him. The smoking gun. He's got him. That could come in the form of a mushroom cloud. Colin Powell didn't lie. My colleagues, every statement I make today is backed up by sources, solid sources. These are not assertions. What we're giving you are facts and conclusions based on solid intelligence. He has not developed any significant capability with respect to weapons of mass destruction. He is unable to project conventional power against his neighbors. Are people going to find out the truth? I have not suggested there's a connection between Iraq and the 9-11. You have said in the past that it was, quote, pretty well confirmed. No, I never said that. Okay. I, I never think said that, that is... No, absolutely not. What I said was, uh, it's been pretty well confirmed, that he did go to Prague and he did meet with uh, a senior official of the Iraqi intelligence service. Saddam Hussein aids and protects terrorists, including members of al-Qaeda. Secretly and without fingerprints, he could provide one of his hidden weapons to terrorists or help them develop their own. What did Iraq have to do with what? The attack on the World Trade Center. Nothing! He said there were three main reasons for going to war in Iraq. Weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein has gone to elaborate lengths spend enormous sums, taking great risks to build and keep weapons of mass destruction. The claim that Iraq was sponsoring terrorists would have attacked us on 9-11. Before September the 11th, many in the world believed that Saddam Hussein could be contained. And that Iraq had purchased nuclear materials from Niger. The regime is seeking a nuclear bomb. Uh, all three of those turned out, turned out to be false. Uh, first, uh, if I might correct, a misperception. I, I don't think we ever said, at least I know I didn't say, that there was a direct connection between September the 11th and, 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 and Saddam Hussein. Who does the president think he's effing kidding? Uh, of course, it was information that was mistaken. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Those weapons of mass destruction got to be somewhere. <laughs> Nope, no weapons over there. <laughs> Maybe under here. When you have a precedent set like that, and you have somebody, George Tennant, acknowledging in his book that he knew that the administration was deceiving the American people into a situation that is murdering young men and women from this country and others, that George Tennant and Dick Cheney and Condoleezza Rice and George Bush et al. should be in fucking jail. Now that's the conclusion of that. Um, <clears throat> first of all, let me go ahead and open the floor. Uh, Ray, I, I'm sure you've watched that video in the past uh, when you just kind of pair up the the lies with the liars, and the lies next to the lies. And I think that the reason that's relevant to the theme of this show more specifically is that one of the things I was saying, obviously, is that um, I don't really want to get into a lot of conspiracy theories in regards to 9-11 on this show, but there is enough 
stuff that's obvious. I mean, like the obvious conspiracy that they used 9-11, whether it was an inside job or not, to get into Iraq uh, and into Afghanistan, and whether or not they used it as a catalyst, essentially politically, to justify going into these other countries. And um, I think that especially, you know, like if you've ever sat and listened to Congressman Kucinich's impeachment uh, stuff that he has together for uh, Bush and Cheney, he's got collections of all these these particular statements. And even now we're looking at 11 years ago that all of this went on. Uh, it still rattles my cage. This video in particular, I think, will be relevant. Uh, it's something I would show even my grandchildren. And so what do you think? Well, um, yeah, <clears throat> it's it, the height of the arrogance of it all is at that press dinner there at the end of that video. It's like, I couldn't believe just based on that information, even as your average American who hasn't really looked at 9-11 that closely, for George Bush to sit up there and for that entire room of, the, of press correspondence, it was the correspondence dinner is what it was, to, to crack up when he's making the jokes about not being able to find the weapons of mass destruction. I mean, you know, it's just the height of absolute arrogance that, that this can possibly be funny. And not just on the part of George Bush, but on the part of the, and the entire room full of people. I mean, how can that be funny? Yeah, it really demonstrates the group mentality and how... Uh, when people think that it's the appropriate moment to just laugh and, and go along with things that they, they generally do unless someone speaks out. And there's so few people who have the courage to speak out in those kinds of moments or in general that, uh, you know, in general, the people who are audacious enough to do something like that uh, usually carry the day. Uh, and that's why yeah. it's so important that people stand up. I mean, they've, they've done experiments with that, you know, psychological experiments, the ash experiments, where you can get people to agree to the most absurd and obvious lies. Like this little tiny line is is bigger than this gigantic line because everybody in the room says that it is. Um, and it, that's been repeated over and over and over again. It, it's sad, but I think that has a lot to do with the way that we condition children. Absolutely. Um, it's like um, just, it's it's actually the evil laugh. You know, when you see your, your villain in a movie, and the or, or you know, at Austin Powers even, when it was taken to the, the goofball extreme of, oh, we're going to, we want $10 trillion, and they all start laughing. That's what that was. They're sitting around laughing at the fact that, I mean, what's funny about that, other than the fact that look at this big lie we put in front of the American people, and that people actually believe. That's the only thing that's that's. I mean, humor is is irony, right? A li that's what they're laughing at. They're laughing at the irony of the situation. That well, yeah, and, and you have to admit, realize that. I mean, the press was just as guilty of what happened as anybody else. I mean, they were the ones who really sold that to the public. I mean, they were the ones who put the the flash and the glamour and the you know the the, the, the moving images and and made it seem like it was pressing and, and needed to happen. They sold it to the American people. Those politicians by themselves probably couldn't have accomplished it. So, I mean, I think you were looking at not a, a room of innocent individuals. I, I mean, I think you were looking at a, a room of accomplices. Exactly. I agree. That's that's definitely my point. And and it's odd that, that we're in this moment in time 11 years later, and they're doing the same thing with Iran now. Yep. <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing that people 
can't see that. I mean, that's really, I mean, I guess what it does show is that they have correctly estimated the American public. And I, I really want to prove them wrong. But so far, the American public has proven them right. And that's that's really the, the worst the worst of all this. It's, it's really disappointing to see that that people really just don't have even the slightest capacity for critical thinking on most issues. You know, what's funny about this actually is um, uh, something I was going to mention on this broadcast as well, although I'm not going to play the whole thing. Um, when you talk about what people think and know, for example, uh, just in regards to the American public, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC recently reported that uh, a poll revealed that um, 15% of voters <laughs> believe that Mitt Romney was responsible for Osama bin Laden's death. <laughs> I mean, it, oh my God. Right. And then 56% are not sure if it was Mitt Romney or Barack Obama. Oh, okay. God. 29% were clear that it was Obama. Oh, God. Now, mind you... Even if it was Obama. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it, that my point is just to say that even under mainstream circumstances, these people are even entertaining the notion that Mitt Romney, who at most in his life was a governor, uh, could have never ordered such a strike ever in any point in his career, okay, was responsible. Now, mind you, this is in states that are largely Republican. You know, like she lists off some of the states, and anybody who wants a link to the, the Rachel Maddow show about it, you actually could just Google, guess who credits Romney for bin Laden's death? You know, but this gives you an example of, like, just how uh, stupid some of these people are, ignorant, you know, and that they could ever credit Romney with it. It's like they, they're so... It goes back to that on the subject of sheeple episode I did forever ago that I keep mentioning. When you play why voters vote for people, in many cases, just how ridiculously clueless some of these people are about the facts of a situation. Anybody who believes, you know, especially 15% of anything, I mean, that's not a lot of people, but still, still believed, you know, that Romney was responsible for the raid that got Osama bin Laden. I mean, I mean, I guess how, how can we be surprised? I mean, if we look at I don't want to go into some of the other fantastic beliefs that the, that the American people entertain, but I mean, when you can convince somebody of um, some of these sacred beliefs that people will defend it at all cost, um, I mean, that's the problem. With If you start with a child off and you tell them that they have to believe this and this and this, or else they're going to go to eternal damnation, um, and it doesn't matter whether there's any logic involved in that belief at all, you have to believe it or else. I mean, I, I seriously believe that that creates a permanent incapacity to to filter information properly because you've suddenly created this, this, this capacity to turn off part of your mind, turn off the logical, hey, that's that doesn't make any sense part. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, I think it's, it's related to the, to the, the, uh, the overall tendency to believe what we're told. Right. Sure. You, you need to comment on the uh, Mitt Romney being responsible for bin Laden's death, Ray? I, I, that's so ridiculously far out there, I can't even imagine. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously the question had to be stacked. It had, must have been a multiple-choice question or something. So, I mean, I think it's just a, a goofball question. But, yeah, I mean... 
to have those kind of results, even on a goofball question, just goes to show the the mass ignorance out there. And of course, you know, I guess I I like to try to focus that. Um, yeah, that mass ignorance is the norm, and 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 it's been that way for a long time. And um, not, I mean, when I say a long time, what are we talking about? Thirty, forty, fifty years? You know, really, uh, it's been just absolute in terms of the kids just being brainwashed from the youngest ages. Um, but I, you know, I like to think that um, that more more guys like us are sitting around having these kind of discussions. Then then certainly there's probably two or three times the amount of this kind of discussion going on right now than there was four or five years ago. I really believe that. And um, so I like to, I like to always remember that as well, that we are coming around and um, there is, it's still, we're still vastly the minority, but yet um, the word is spreading and, and people are starting to, to, to start to open their minds and hearts to the reality of, of the world we live in. Absolutely. Now, I think that, uh, you know, in regards to, you know, issues of, you know, 9-11 in Iraq, one of the reasons why, you know, like even without stacking it, I can tell you that, you know, when I was running for Congress as a libertarian in Michigan's 10th district, uh, I was running in an essentially what amounted to being a neoconservative district. I did not realize that until I went around and started talking around to the, the different people. But, you know, I literally was at a voting uh, like one of those things where you get to go meet the voters, you know, and, you know, uh, they had a guy there and he was arguing with me and he said that Iraq was involved in 9-11. And this is after, you know, even like that clip that I just played, you know, revealed that even George Bush admits that Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. You know, um, that the the average citizen who, I mean, this is a guy who, cares enough to actually show up to these voting, like, you know, meet the candidates' parties, which I might add are generally not even attended by most mainstream candidates. They don't bother. Um, you know, this is somebody who supposedly cares enough to get in his car and drive down to City Hall and meet, you know, different people running for these offices, and he still believes that. And, you know, I deal with that sometimes from different people. Like, you know, I have a uh, – my political – Activist Facebook is my VTV V radio, and then I have a more private one, you know, that's you know that's based on my name, uh, that I usually kind of keep locked up. But I still end up, of course, in political arguments on it. And I just dealt with a guy just the other day, you know, who said I had no clue or whatever, and I just kind of bombarded him with information, and then he limped away um, because there's nobody who can go away from the situation anymore logically and rationally thinking and, and say that Iraq had something to do with 9-11. There's just no way to defend that position anymore. Um, when even the people who initiated a lie don't defend it. But it definitely shows you, you know, as Aaron was pointing out, uh, how far the quote-unquote groupthink can go, how far people can get lost in the nonsense, you know, and, and just suspend anything resembling... Uh, logic, you know, just to just so that they can maintain their worldview. Um, Absolutely. Re- recently, actually, on Zeitgeist News, uh, they revealed an article <laughs> that there's scientific evidence that when somebody is given proof of a claim, in many cases, it will make them even more fanatical. If it is, uh, if it is dangerous to their worldview, they will just openly just deny it. Uh, you know, and sure, imp- it's called cognitive dissonance. Right. Right. So. Well, I, 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 I read ahead, that Aaron. article. I, I read that article. I remember it actually 
they went they went into the why and it, it's because it mm-hmm. threatens their identity and when a person's identity is threatened and they actually got to that conclusion because of they they isolated several other factors like um you know the conditions before the person had the discussion and such um so what it really came down to was if a person's identity was threatened then then the person was likely to become much more ferocious in their in their defense of that idea um and it, that's one of the things that made me like really question like if 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 part of the the answer to get around this is is identity like if if maybe that i mean this is you know, kind of going off on a tangent maybe i should stop but no, it's a good tangent. Go for it. It is. It is. Go. Now, where people are, in, in, a, in a way, like we have to be looking at what a person is identifying with and finding a way to gently um, re- open their hands so that they can let go of it before we hit them with the thing that threatens it, if that makes sense. Sure. Right. Well, that's a very deep, uh, I believe you're getting into spirituality there a bit, because what you're calling identity is a lot of, I think it's relatively the same as what is referred to as ego. And um, your ego, your identity is, is, a, is a version of yourself created as, on a, as a working group effort between the world, the social norms, and yourself from the youngest of ages. We're talking from being a baby. Oh, you have such pretty big blue eyes. You know, if you're told that a lot when you're a baby, this becomes your identity. This becomes your ego forms this version of yourself. And so um, these things are really built in deeply to us. And transcending that is a very, very um, deep process that, yes, absolutely. But you're absolutely right. That is kind of the process, I believe, that people have to go through in order to easily uh, to be in a position where they can easily remap their whole entire worldview on a whim. Uh, on a, as soon as they get some new information, they can just say, oh, well, everything I thought up to this point in my life is wrong, and then and move forward and be okay with that. Um, in order to do that is really uh, something something pretty deep. Now, and as that's relevant to what we're doing today, I mean, the reason I'm offering alternative news you know, as there are so many people, for example, on this issue, uh, they've done a really good job of changing the the identity of I'm an American to mean you're not allowed to talk about 9-11. Um, you know, they did the same thing during the JFK stuff. You know, it, what? How dare you ever insinuate, you know, no, magic bullet. You know, go with the magic bullet. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me on this magic bullet thing. You know. Yeah, and, they were really successful in, in selling the whole uh, conspiracy theory stigma as right. if to, to think that governments could ever be involved in a conspiracy is just absolutely asinine like what wait hold on what is history i mean right like con- history is is nothing but conspiracy that's like if, if there wasn't ever conspiracy you would you would just open up your history book and well we've always had the same country forever the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. No, and, and then and then they, they went to the next step and not only uh but they, they created this buzzword called a conspiracy theory that all they have to do is say that if you say those two words in conjunction with any thought, you have now from that point forward in the in the American, you know, sheeple's head, I hate that word, but sheeple, uh will now disregard any information regarding that subject. Right. The very very well done propaganda public relations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, kind of moving along here into the uh, recent news in regards to 9-11, uh, 
published September 10th, 2012 on Russia Today. Uh, on the eve of the 11th anniversary, okay, let me start actually with the headline, Airlines Accused of 9-11 Negligence Must Stand Trial. This is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the eve of the 11th anniversary of the attack on the World Trade Center, a federal judge has determined that two of the airline companies involved in the tragedy must stand trial to face charges of negligence. U.S. District Judge Alvin Hellerstein ruled last week that AMR Corp's American Airlines and United Continental Holdings Incorporated must appear in court to be tried over accusations that intent um, and that inattention meaning inattention, on part of the companies contributed to the terrorist attacks that left around 3,000 Americans dead on September 11, 2001. Uh, Both American and United jets were hijacked by terrorists on 9-11, who then piloted the planes into the Twin Towers, created the largest assault on American soil since World War II. World Trade Center Properties LLC, the owner of two landmark skyscrapers destroyed in the attack, attempted to sue the airliners in 2008 on the basis that negligence on the part on their part, allowed terrorists to board the planes and carry carry out their planned assault. On Tuesday last week, Judge Hellerstein finally agreed to allow the argument to be brought into court. World Trade Center properties are seeking $8.4 billion, the estimated cost of replacing the Twin Towers. United and American Airlines had introduced a motion themselves that sought to prevent standing trial, but Judge Hellerstein rejected their plea. Previously, the property owners recouped a $4.9 billion settlement from their insurance companies in regards to the attack. Uh, I've got a quote here. The overlap between WTCP's insurance recovery and its potential tort recovery present, uh, presents issues of fact requiring trial. Uh, court papers from last week's ruling read, In official statements released by WTCP, in response, the owners say that poor security of the airlines is responsible for their losses. Uh, Another quote, but for the aviation defendant's negligence, the terrorists could not have boarded and hijacked the aircraft and flown them into the Twin Towers, thus accusing the United uh, United and American Airlines of wrongdoing. So, Aaron, what do you Hmm. think of this? Well, you know, it'd be interesting just to see if there could possibly be some truth, some truth that would come out when uh, they start eating each other, you know, because no one wants to go down. I mean, if it's just money and you know, there's it's, it's, it's trifling figures and like a few million here or there. I'm I'm sure no one no no one's head's gonna roll. But I mean, if if there was ever any criminal implications, I mean, which it doesn't sound like that's gonna be the case. I mean, there should there should definitely should be some criminal implications. Obviously not in the way that they're they're saying it because that's asinine. I mean, there's so many other things that clearly indicate that there's. I mean, I, I, we can't even really talk about this subject without without hitting some of these just major, just glaring issues. Just like, okay, there there was military grade nanothermite in the dust. Okay, mm-hmm. we we took all of the evidence of this massive crime and immediately shipped it to China to be melted down. I mean, who does that? What kind of government? What kind of crime investigator instantly walks onto a scene and says, okay, let's destroy everything? Like okay, there was a, there was a murder in this house. Okay, well let's burn it down. <laughs> All right, and then uh, no trials because we don't have any evidence. Well, huh? Who destroyed the evidence? Okay, that's kind of like that's kind of a it should be a hint to some people. Maybe some of the people who were involved in the investigation had something to hide. Well, even if it was just in the matter of gross incompetence, unfortunately, if you were going to go with that theory, you'd be talking about a lot of things. 
I think what will be interesting to come out of this particular set of article is that inevitably, if they're going to try to prove negligence on the part of the airliners in a court, you know, hearing, which is obviously going to involve high-priced lawyers, uh, subpoenas, and all that other jazz, uh, more things are likely to come to light. Because if they're going to blame uh, the airliners in this question, then obviously then they're going to have to look very heavily at who the hijackers were, how they got onto the planes. You know, um, should the airlines have known anything about these people ahead of time, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, will be revealed over the course of such a trial. Um, That's a good point, Neil. You know, right. And they're going to have a conversations about, okay, well, how did you let these guys get on board the plane with box cutters, you know, things like that. I was kind of surprised that they got on board the plane with box cutters myself, you know, but that, but that what that means is, is that, you know, remember as, you know, they, they said, you know, in different, like in, in, there was a part of actually V for Vendetta that popped into my head when they said the most reliable records are tax records. And while we're not talking about taxes, we are talking about large quantities of money at stake. And I think that the fact that somebody's going to make billions of dollars uh, off of this lawsuit could lead us to a position where more information is going to get revealed by both parties, whether it's the airliners revealing things to try to defend themselves from any wrongdoing on their part, you know, or the owners of the World Trade Center who are suing them revealing information. I think that you know, we're definitely looking at a situation there. Did you want to comment further, Ray? Yeah, I think it could be really interesting. Um, one of the things I came across recently, and it's not new, but uh, a woman named Susan Lindauer came out. Uh, looks like about a year ago is the, mo- is the first time I'm seeing her come public, which was right around the 10-year anniversary. She was kept uh, wrapped up in lawsuits and this and that under Homeland Security for many years, locked up in jail for a year of it. Uh, she was a CIA asset, uh, which is this is a term that people should really start to wrap around, wrap their brain around, and get a clue on what this is. A CIA asset means you are not actually working for the CIA directly. You're not a trained investigator or anything like that. You're not a super spy. You are you are somebody who uh, is contracting with the CIA to do a particular job, um, and you have a handler. There are many, many, many CIA assets running around out there uh, amongst us that aren't all that different than us, but do get exposed on a regular basis to this whole world um, in little bits and pieces. So anyway, she is one of these assets. Um, She was actually working with uh, Iraq, according to her story now. I'm just repeating her story, um, which seems as authentic as anybody's story could be, um, that she was working with the Iraqis uh, negotiating the terms of the various things that had happened since um, the first Gulf War, essentially. Uh, Iraqis were all on board. They were totally open to terrorism investigations. Uh, All the inspections that were going on, they said, bring the FBI in if you want. You're totally free to do whatever you want in terms of uh, stopping terrorism. Uh, Saddam Hussein did not like... um, he was he was against the Islamic extremists in every way that you can be against them. They were the opposite, you know, uh, arm of of the uh, of politics in that area of the world. Um, and anyway, um, essentially, what her, what her claim is is that um, that that they were largely aware of of the plot, and there's plenty of evidence of that as well. That uh, Condoleezza Rice and 
and all, and there were and some of this came out in the years following 9/11 that there was a discussion within the White House and the top levels, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, etc. There was talk of knowledge knowledge of this of this plot going on. Um, that's documented. Um, so she's just taking that story one step further, and just it was very clearly known about. And so what they decided to do is knowing about this plot is they just could decide to help it along. They help to, to help it be successful. So in other words, uh, a lot of people say this is some big conspiracy. It was a quote inside job, which is the silliest phrase I've ever heard. Um, but that it was our own government who did it. And other people and, and the general public is, is like sort of kind of believes the real conspiracy theory. That is the nine 11 commission report. That's the conspiracy theory. Um, Cause that's total nonsense. But um, what? So you don't have to. In other words, this is her version of events is somewhere between the two. It's saying that there was a real Islamic threat. There was a real um, extremist movement that did attempt to make this attack happen, and there was also cooperation, essentially, or passive cooperation at minimum, uh, probably actual uh, cooperation in terms of helping them unknowingly see that they were they, they, that their mission was successful these guys and she she actually claims that uh, most of the hijackers themselves were assets also okay they were assets um so who knows what they thought they were going in to do that day <laughs> but um <laughs> so there was some combination anyway the point that ties back to what you were saying neil is I think this could this this trial, if it is to go, let's find out who's really responsible in terms of let's find out where this extra four or five billion who ought to pay for it. Should it be the airlines or should it be um, or should the property owners take the loss because their insurance policy maxed out? So uh, in the process of chasing that four or five billion, if that gives us an opportunity to say, who the heck were these guys um, that actually hijacked this thing? Let's check them out and start following the trail there. Maybe we do have an opportunity to find out, oh, they were CIA assets, as she claims, and, and that kind of thing. That could open a whole new can of worms into this investigation. Aside from the fact that, you know, even the official statements are that they were mostly all Saudi Arabians, yet we're not invading Saudi Arabia. We invaded Iraq, and we invaded Afghanistan, and we didn't invade Saudi Arabia. You know, like, even if you go along with their stuff, that's kind of the angle that I try to take on this, is that even if you follow that, you, know, you still come to that conclusion. And I do have something to say about the dust, although it's it's not uh, oriented towards the, the thermite. Um, it's about the fact that there's all these 9-11 responders that are getting cancer and all that crap, and the, everybody's dragging their feet about giving these people medical care. But before I get into that, actually, you brought up the Condoleezza Rice stuff, and one of the few guilty pleasures I'm going to allow myself on this particular broadcast is to play a recording of Condoleezza Rice talking to the 9-11 Commission, and the 9-11 Commission, ironically, uh, to their credit, really putting her like on the coal, her feet to the coals for this. Um, this is somewhat of a long recording, though, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and play around. And if you guys are listening in the chat room and you can't hear this, I did not record this directly into Blog Talk. I'm going to actually be playing this using Stereo Mix. So if it doesn't sound good, uh, please let us know in the chat. Um, I don't know if I'll end up playing this whole thing. I'm going to listen to it and make sure, but uh, it's like seven minutes long, so um, get ready for that. And um, once again, all right, here we go, guys. I'm going to disable microphones, and um, if you guys can mute yourselves while I play this, that would be great.
Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Benveniste. Good morning, Dr. Rice. Good morning. Nice to see you again. Uh, I want to ask you some questions about the August 6, 2001 PDB. We had been advised in writing by uh, the CIA on March 19, 2004, that the August 6 PDB was prepared and self-generated by a CIA employee. The CIA clarified its version of events, uh, saying that questions by the president prompted them to prepare the August 6 PDB. Uh, you have said to us that the president uh, directed the CIA to uh, prepare the August 6 PDB. The extraordinary high terrorist attack threat level in the summer of 2001 is well documented. And Richard Clark's testimony about the possibility of an attack against the United States homeland was repeatedly discussed from May to August within the intelligence community, and that is well documented. You acknowledged that Richard Clark told you that al-Qaeda cells were in the United States. Did you tell the president at any time prior to August 6 of the existence of al-Qaeda cells in the United States? Um, first, let me just make certain... If you could just answer that well, question, first, because I only have a very I, limited... I understand, Commissioner, but it's, Did important, you tell it's the important, president. important that I also address... It's also important, uh, Commissioner, that I address the, uh, the other issues that you have raised. So I will do it quickly, but if you'll just give well, me a moment. Well, my only question to you is whether you I understand, told the President. Will, if you'll just give me a moment, I will uh, address fully the questions that yeah. you've asked. Uh, first of all, uh, yes, the uh, August 6th uh, PDB was um, in response to questions of the President. There was no recommendation that we do something about uh, this. The FBI was pursuing it. I really don't remember, um, Commissioner, whether I discussed this with the President. Um, I Thank you. remember very well that the President was aware uh, that there were issues inside the United States. He, he talked to people about this, but I don't remember the Al-Qaeda cells as being something that we were told we needed to do something about. Isn't it a fact, Dr. Rice, that the August 6 PDB warned against possible attacks in this country. And I ask you whether you recall the title of that PDB. I believe the title was Bin Laden Determined to Attack Inside the United States. Uh, uh, now, the, uh, the PDB... You. No, Mr. Benveniston, you... I will get into I, the... I would like to, to finish my point here. I, I didn't know there uh, given was a that point. You asked me whether or not it warned of attacks. And I asked you what the title was. You said, did it not warn of attacks? It did not warn of attacks inside the United States. It was historical information based on uh, old reporting. There was no new threat information, and it did not, in fact, warn of any coming attacks inside the United States. Now, you knew by August 2001 of al-Qaeda involvement in the first World Trade Center bombing. Is that correct? You knew that in 1999, late 99, in the millennium threat period, that we had thwarted an al-Qaeda attempt to blow up uh, Los Angeles International Airport and thwarted uh, cells operating in Brooklyn, New York, and Boston, Massachusetts. As of the 
August 6th briefing, you learned that al-Qaeda members have resided or traveled to the United States for years and maintained a support system in the United States. And you learned that FBI information since the 1998 blind shake warning of hijackings uh, to free the blind shake indicated a pattern of suspicious activity in the country up until August 6th consistent with preparation for hijackings. Isn't that so? Do you have other questions that you want me to answer in, as well, part of the sequence? Did you not? You have indicated here that this was some historical document. And I am asking you whether it is not the case that you learned in the PDB memo of August 6th that the FBI was saying it had information suggesting that preparations, not historically, but ongoing, along with these uh, numerous full-field investigations against al-Qaeda cells, that preparations were being made consistent with hijackings within the United States. What the August 6th PDB said, and perhaps I should uh, read it to you. We would be happy to have it declassified in full at uh, this time, including its title. I believe, I believe, Mr. Benvenisca, that you've had access to this PDB. But, but we have not had it declassified so that it can be shown publicly, I believe as had, you know. I believe you've had access to this PDB, uh, exceptional access. But let me address your question. Nor could we, let me prior to today, reveal the title of that may PDB. I, may I address the question, sir? Commissioner, this was not a warning. This was a historic memo, historical memo prepared by the agency because the president was asking questions about what we knew about the inside. Now, well, if, we if had you are willing, taken... If, if you are willing to declassify that document, then uh, others can make up their minds about it. The president was in Crawford, Texas at the time he received the PDB. You were not with him, correct? That's correct. Now, was the president, in words or substance, alarmed in any way or motivated to take any action, such as meeting with the director of the FBI, meeting with um, the attorney general as a result of receiving the information contained in the PDB? Uh, the president was told this is historical information. I'm told he was told this is historical information. And there was nothing actionable in this. The president knew that the FBI was pursuing this issue. The president knew that the Director of Central Intelligence was pursuing this issue, and uh, there was no new threat information in this document to pursue. Did the President meet with the Director of uh, Commissioner, uh, the FBI between August 6th and September 11th? Um, I will have to get back to you on that. I'm All right, and we're back. Sorry about that, folks. Always a brief kind of changeover when I adjust the sound setting. Um, if people are taking calls, uh, if you guys actually want to call in, I'll probably uh, enable that. But let me give my, um, if you guys want to go ahead and do that, the phone number is available here uh, 
on the uh, actually on the page that you're listening to the show on right now. Uh, so, guys, um, first let me start with you, Ray, since that kind of played off of what you were saying earlier about Condoleezza Rice, and you know, I kind of like her, like him asking that direct, a- you know, question to her, and her saying, "Are there any other questions you want to ask today?" <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, sorry Neil, you cut out there for a minute. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was just my end. Okay, but can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. So did you hear the question? No. Okay. Um, well, did you you heard the 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 uh, Condoleezza Rice recording, right? Yes. Right. Is it? It's kind of funny though that it kind of confirmed what you were talking about in regards to that being on the record. And my my favorite part, I think, of that recording is when he asks her the direct question about what the title of the, the you know the intelligence report was, she kind of says, are there any other questions you want to ask today? <laughs> you know, like, right. Doing her best to dodge that. Um, and uh, so did you have any commentary before I moved to Aaron on that? Well, no, yeah, it just confirms what I was saying, which I already knew, I think, um, that, you know, there was, there was clear knowledge amongst the top levels um, that this was happening, this attack was imminent, um, and... The bottom line is they wanted to use that attack for their own purposes, uh, to, and to to get into Iraq, okay, and to, of course, you know, pass laws like the Patriot Act and that kind of thing and just uh, continue the general agenda. And so it was multifaceted reasons for it. And when they found out that there was a real plot that existed, uh, they did their best to make sure that they did not thwart it in any way and very likely did their best to assist it. Right. So when you hear those kind of discussions, I don't even – this PDB means nothing to me. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the information in that PDB entitled Bin Laden wants to attack America, some, right? Mm-hmm. Um, meaningless. That, this, that could be propaganda as well uh, because I'm not convinced that Bin Laden had anything to do with anything um, personally. But um doesn't mean he wasn't. But anyway, it, it, I don't know what to believe listening to all that, but it does confirm a couple of the points I was making. What about you, Aaron? Well, I mean, obviously somebody had to do something. You're really quiet, Aaron. Oh, um, can you hear me? Can you hear yeah, me now enough? you sound, you sound much better now. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of people had to be involved in a project that big. Whoever did this, it was a conspiracy. <laughs> you know, there was definitely a lot of planning and a lot of logistics involved. And, um, you know, it, it it definitely required more than just some airplanes to take those those buildings down because there was molten steel in the basements. There was explosions that were verified by multiple people, including firefighters. There's video accounts on multiple points. So, obviously, any, any kind of project of that scale that's going to be involved taking down multiple skyscrapers, hitting the Pentagon, um, yeah, it, it's going to set off some intelligence chatter um i i think it's kind of a kind of a whitewash in that sense that 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 the, that that intelligence chatter was just blown off as oh you had some knowledge and you didn't do anything about it because i mean really what that ended up being used for is we need a department of homeland security we need more <laughs> of a security state in order to be able to monitor all this stuff and have a department that's really like this in, you know main hub to catch all this information so, yeah, I, I look at it and I, I see a, p- a public relations um, scene being laid out where, you know, we're given a, a false conflict and a false 
um, dichotomy. So that in the end, when they say, okay, well, what does this say that you know we really don't have enough of a security state in the United States? So let's increase it. Let's 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 amp it up. Right. And then agreed. And and that that backs up uh, the same. What Susan Lindauer, who I was referring to and, and who my information is coming from, uh, also confirms that yes, there was a controlled demolition. She's very confident of that. That was just kind of once they found out the attack. Well, let's help these guys make sure they do the job right. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, the the, the so-called pilot, the guys. I mean, there's interviews publicly available. If anybody wants to go out there, go look for the interview of, of the actual flight instructor who was training that guy. And he says the guy couldn't even fly a, a little twin-engine airplane. He was in, absolutely incompetent. And and if you talk to any pilot, and my dad was a pilot, and when I showed him this stuff, I mean, my dad's a very patriotic guy. He cried. I mean, he later, like, went into cognitive dissonance and, like, you know, he found a way to, like, turn his mind off. But as a pilot, and he when he looked at the trajectory of that of what those planes did, and he knew what it takes to fly a plane like that, it it shook him because he realized no, that's not even it's not even clear that an expert fighter pilot could have pulled that, much less some dipshit who couldn't even fly a twin engine airplane. I mean, this is serious, serious, serious piloting skills. I mean, they did. You have to look at what happened at the Pentagon. That's, that's that's just insane to think that the, the official story is true. When instead of coming in head on, which would have been the easiest thing to do, they did it in a spiral, went around to the one part of the building that was under renovations, that didn't have, that wasn't occupied by anybody important, and at this almost impossible angle, comes in and hits the building right at the perfect point, rather than just coming in on the top. Now, even coming in on the top, if you're not an extra expert pilot and you don't know how to judge distance and such, and I mean, obviously these guys didn't know how to even land an airplane like that because they weren't trained on that kind of airplane. They were trained supposedly on these like twin engine or tiny you know, private jets, and they didn't even pass at that level. Um, so it, it's not like they're going to be able to, to, to pull that kind of gigantic loop with all of those G-forces and hit that one perfect spot, which is going to cause the minimum of casualties. I mean, people just don't even talk about that kind of thing. That's the problem. Well, I mean, yeah, and that kind of you know goes into the the stuff that gets all like as you said earlier, you know, uh, mentioned as conspiracy theory, you know, not allowed to be talked about, and that's why I I tend to, I mean, uh, you know, I don't obviously agree with that, but at the same time, I um, you know, I tend to focus on the things that even the they're willing to admit, you know, and kind of stick them in the stuff that they said themselves, which kind of brings me to my next clip, which is very brief. Uh, it's only a minute clip, and I'm going to adjust the sound settings again. But um, this clip kind of speaks for itself, and I'll be interesting to see. Interested to see. I mean, the only thing you can really justify this with would be just sheer incompetence. Like that's the only thing that could come across as like the uh, like the explanation for this particular clip. But let me go ahead and play it, um, and we'll take it from there. And you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to wonder exactly what President George W. Bush knew about the attack and when he knew it. According to the official White House version, it was at this moment in a Florida classroom that Bush learned the second plane had hit the World Trade Center and that the U.S. was under attack. 
But here's what George Bush himself said almost three months later when asked about September 11th. I had, was sitting outside uh, the, the classroom waiting to go in, and I saw an airplane hit the tower. Of a, of a t, you know, the TV was obviously on, and I, I used to fly myself, and I said, well, there's one terrible pilot. And uh, I said it must have been a, a horrible accident. But I was whisked off there. I didn't have much time to think about it. Now, wait a minute. George Bush was told about the second plane while he was inside the classroom. So you just heard him describe seeing the first plane crash on television that day. But that's impossible. No one saw the first plane crash on TV on September the 11th because the videotape of it didn't surface until the next day. So how could George Bush have seen what he said he saw? <laughs> All right, guys. Um, so where do we check this one out? Like, uh, I mean, like, as far as like, what, where, what is our stance on this? I'm going to start with you, Aaron. Well, I mean, it, it, it all comes down to what people are willing to, to look at. I mean, if, if you, if you have a few hours free time and you have the willingness to adjust your worldview according to what information is out there, I mean, just go out there and watch one film. If you watch one film, 9/11 Blueprint for Truth, and and that's just just an architect, engineer perspective going through the physics of what happened, like what's absolutely provable, what we have in evidence. I mean, and they've got 1,600-plus architects and engineers who've signed publicly documents saying that the official story is physically impossible. I mean, okay, you don't, you're against the, the, the theories, you're against the opinions. Physics is not a matter of opinion. Okay, there's mathematical problems with the official story. You cannot melt steel with kerosene. And that's essentially what jet fuel is. You can't, even if you mix it with oxygen at optimum levels, you cannot melt steel. And there was molten steel in the basements of the World Trade Center building. Okay, that's provable, provable information. I mean, there's, you, you have all sorts of physics questions that are involved that... Americans act like, oh, you can't prove anything. Well, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can do the equations. You can look at it and check. And that's actually what got me to look at this stuff in the first place, is I went right. and actually looked at the equations of how fast those buildings fell. And I did it myself. I did the math myself, and I realized that's physically impossible. But, was- but Aaron, Popular Mechanics and Discovery Channel put out <laughs> uh, articles and, and videos explaining everything. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it works if you're dealing with a, pub, a public who, who just basically cruise through high school um, doing the bare minimum, learning absolutely nothing. And that's the problem. We live in a, in a society where people, you know, they think that learning is about giving the teacher what they need to know when they need it. And then after that, they just turn their brain off. I mean, right. most people well, don't, know, don't, don't wouldn't even know where to start to do the physics question themselves. And that's, yeah. that's yeah. actually, and, and I, go ahead, Ray. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, because, you know, I always like to tell people, look, uh, I'm not so sure about 9-11. I don't know what did happen. I know what didn't happen. Uh, and I suggest you do your own research. And so the first thing they'll do is they'll go to Google. I'm going to use the Internet. I'm going to do what this guy says, you know. Uh, go, oh, let me see. 9-11. Okay. Oh, there's Discovery Channel. Cool. And they watch that. Oh, Popular Mechanics. Then these are the, the, the Discovery Channel and the Popular Mechanics article is the first thing they will find, debunking the conspiracy theories. That's what they gravitate to. End of story. Their worldview stays in place. They're all done with their research. 
Well, I mean, that's not an accident. I mean, Google search results are not right. just random. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. for sure. But it's, you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, what I've been telling people, honestly, the best way to handle this is one of the most frustrating things about the 9-11 thing is that, you know, you got amateurs on all sides that are all, you know, kind of speaking with authority on it. And there was one guy, a uh, physics guy, actually, I, I linked his videos recently because, um, he just did what you're supposed to do. He used science. He evaluated and he did actual physical experiments to prove the point. And one of the things that they argued about, like I guess it was either Discovery Channel or like on the program Nova, I think it was, um, they did a show about 9-11. And um, basically in this show, they, they, they packed a bunch of thermite around a steel girder to see if thermite could even melt it. And of course they failed like it didn't it didn't melt it it you know it made it gray and all that and he's like okay but that's not what anybody has said has happened nobody just sticks thermite around a, a steel girder i mean they literally just kind of like just dropped the thermite all around the girder and this guy in his backyard experimented with thermite and he couldn't even get like the the alleged nano thermite he of course just had to stick with thermate and eventually he was able to put together a device that used a thermate that that would shred steel girders. You know, um, he did all of that himself, just using basic fundamental principles of science in his backyard. His his video series is very good. He does another one on pancake theory about how you know if there, if you're gonna bring a building down onto something like that, if it's gonna fall apart, there's still going to be what is referred to as a jolt, where the let's say the top floors that are allegedly what cause the rest of the buildings to collapse, you know, whether or not, if that's what's going to happen, you know, there's still going to be a brief pause before the whole structural collapse happens. And there wasn't. It just all came down. Um, and he demonstrated this, and once again, in his backyard, using models and stuff, just to, you know, to, to do the science involved. And it's interesting that, you know, somebody actually gave me a link to the fact that NIST has finally realized that ignoring Building seven wasn't working out so good for them, so uh, they um, basically, um, you know, did something about it just to say the fires did it, and it's really, you know, kind of uh, vague how they explained it and all that. But um, you know, that they're finally getting into this issue that they've just been ignoring, and that you know, even then though, it's just it's the the physics involved don't really play out. And I suggest to people to check that out, even if they're not interested in getting too far into it. Um, yeah, this Neil, I think that to like largely sum it up, if, if that's where we're getting to the point, we've brought up four, in just this one hour of, of kind of random discussion, we brought up four very important questions. Who knew about the event, the attacks ahead of time? Mm -hmm. Who flew those planes? How did those buildings fall? And what the heck happened to Building 7? Right. Those four questions. Just try to get some answers to those four questions, and don't don't find the first article you you come across and believe everything they say. Look at several sources. Open your mind. Yeah, you do have to be. Are you still there, Ray? Looks like Ray might have dropped. Um, I'm here still. Yeah. I was yeah. Say, oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. Uh, you you do have to filter through it because there's also some what I would call 9/11 crap like I've seen laser beam theories and just aliens did it and you know so like anything else obviously you got to you've got to really evaluate it and that's why what that guy did about 
actually doing physical experiments in his backyard, you know, I think was much more uh, relevant than, let's say, well, I Googled on Wikipedia, you know, the melting point of steel, and it says X, Y, and Z. He just went and did it, you know, like Mythbusters style, you know, in his backyard, which I might add, Mythbusters has made it clear they won't address 9-11 ever, um, which doesn't really surprise me. They actually... Uh, um, they got stonewalled about the RFID chip thing too. Like they were they were going to do a show about that, and uh, they got asked not to do it. Um, but anyway, uh, so another thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, although this is not necessarily modern news, but it was in 2010, uh, 2012. But uh, before I get into that, actually, I know Ray, you need to go. So if you want to say goodbye, and then we'll continue. Okay, sure thing. Thanks for having me on, Neil. Appreciate it as always. Sure. Always, sure. A, always a good conversation. Excellent. Now, um, this is a simple point, really, uh, uh, that we have the guy who's supposedly the 9-11 mastermind. He's going back on trial, uh, Guantanamo, and even the mainstream media gets around to reporting that the dude was waterboarded 183 times. Now, uh, I know there was actually a really funny video you can watch on the internet about this, about a radio host that said that waterboarding wasn't that big a deal. Um, and so they he volunteered to be waterboarded, and he didn't last uh, 10 seconds before he was done. Uh, I don't think most people understand what waterboarding involves, but you know, let's put a towel on your head, a wet one, and then we're just going to pour water directly down your nose, into your lungs, you instantly get the reaction that you're drowning. Um, and the idea that anybody would do that to someone 183 times in of itself is pretty crazy. Um, the idea that someone would admit to doing something like, you know, uh, supposedly, you know, you know, putting together the 9-11 attacks after having themselves waterboarded 183 times you know, it's pretty out there. I mean, just a little commentary on the issue of being waterboarded at 183 times. What, what do you think, Aaron? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, haven't, I haven't thought about that enough to form a coherent opinion. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think you might be made to admit something if you'd been waterboarded 183 times? Well, yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> but, I, mean, I guess I wasn't thinking that was what you were going for. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I, any of the information that they're, they're, they're so-called extracting from these guys that go through um, you know, Guantanamo and such, I mean, uh, it's asinine. I mean, it's, it's it's even worse than that, though, because there's – there's guys that are involved in these Libya um, operations and, and Syria operations um, that we have you know, a, accounts that are saying that these guys were actually um, from Guantanamo. Right. I mean, so that's the thing. I mean, you're dealing with guys. Uh, actually, I don't want to go down into the, into the rabbit the whole, hole. Yeah, a rabbit <laughs> hole there. But, I mean, you just, you seriously mess with a person's head. I mean, if you look at um, – there's a, there's a, there's a a film called um, The Road to Guantanamo, and it actually shows the accounts of um, a group of, of boys who actually did get captured and got taken to Guantanamo. Later, they were they proved their innocence, but by sheer luck. I mean, they wouldn't have. It, they only got to prove their innocence because they confessed. They gave a false confession. It was a strategic attempt 
to um, get access to a court, and it worked. Um, and then they were able to prove that they they weren't terrorists. But they spent several years in Guantanamo, and they you know it seriously messed with their head. And yes, they, they did give a false confession, and they were able to to go public about it later. Uh, but not not everybody makes it through that, and, and it can completely break a person's mind. I mean, I think you could literally convince a person that they did do it under certain conditions. I mean, if you if you torture a person that much, I mean, it's it's really messing with their head. Well, all the pictures that you see of this guy, you know, he looks like he's got a huge hangover. <laughs> His eyes are barely open. You know, you got to ask yourself, you know, what. Um, was going, you know, basically like, you know, what kind of information you you're going to get out of them. And most people have recognized that torture doesn't work. The fear of torture can work sometimes. Um but I guess when you ask yourself, especially since people have been talking about this guy getting tried in New York in the United States. You know, what court of law would allow evidence to be admissible? after someone had been waterboarded once, even once, you know, not, let alone 183 times. I think the United States government would. <laughs> and unfortunately, I mean, that's the kind of, I mean, it, that's just a hallmark of a police state, though. I mean, it was what it comes down to. I mean, that's that's how hardcore police states operate. They torture you till you confess, then they put you in prison. Sure. I mean, if they want you in prison, they'll put you in prison. Right. Now, we were talking a little bit about the dust earlier, and I did want to get into something that, once again, even you know the mainstream has, has touched on a little bit. But uh, and this also has to do with, once again, um, an issue of uh, a major lawsuit that could eventually involve more you know investigations you know, as far as things that will be coming up. So uh, this is actually in... Uh, it's called uh, Mail Online, I guess is the name of it. But uh, thousands set to claim compensation as federal government says there is a link between toxic dust from 9-11 aftermath and up to 50 types of cancer. Uh, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health is expected to announce the findings tomorrow. About 400 first responders or people who lived near the site have died from cancer since 9-11. Uh, the Zadrogo Act originally did not cover cancer because there was not enough evidence linking it to the toxins emitted at Ground Zero. For the first time since 9-11 attack, the federal government has recognized that people who lived near Ground Zero and first responders got cancer from toxic dust on the scene. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health an, um, announced the findings ahead of the 11th anniversary of the terrorist attack tomorrow, well, meaning today. The Institute is responsible for deciding whether cancer should be among the illnesses covered by the James Zagroda 9-11 Health and Compensation Act. Around 50 cancers are included. The ruling means thousands of people who are sure they got sick in the aftermath of the outrage will be eligible for compensation. Um, an estimated or I guess actually deadly fumes, the Zagroda Act did not cover cancer because there was not enough evidence linking it to toxins emitted at ground zero. Uh, Michael Barash, a lawyer who represented thousands of first responders and residents, told the New York Post, there's new scientific evidence that dust is what is now linked to not only the respiratory illnesses, but all these cancers. Um, John Walcott, an NYPD detective who was diagnosed with leukemia in 2003 after working months at Ground Zero in the Fresh Kills landfill, said, um, It's a bittersweet thing. It took 11 years to do what should have been done a long time ago. 
The Zadroga Act, named after an NYPD detective, James Zadroga, who died at age 34 after working in the World Trade Center pile, was passed into law two years ago. Under the act, $2.8 billion was set aside to compensate people who uh, made ill by exposure to toxins at the site. Another $1.5 billion had been allocated over the five years to fund the World Trade Center Health Program, which treats and monitors about 40,000 first responders. It originally did not cover cancer because there was allegedly not enough evidence linking it to the toxins. Now, to me, it's common sense. If you breathe in toxic fumes, you're going to get cancer, said U.S. Representative Carolyn Maloney, a Manhattan Democrat who helped author the bill. But even Maloney conceded that it is difficult to find hard data proving the uh, connection between cancer and the dust at ground zero. That's why it is crafting the Zargoda Act. Lawmakers were careful to include the mechanisms that would allow for illnesses to be added based on new scientific research. If uh, this was despite thousands of responders claiming to be sick because of their part in the rescue efforts. About 400 first responders or people who live near the site have died from cancer. It's funny that it's kind of repeating itself. With the inclusion of uh, cancer in the program, there will be more victims seeking compensation, yet no increase in the $2.77 billion fund, meaning individual rewards will be lower. Thomas Gilmartin, a smoker who suffers from lung disease and sleep apnea, told the Post, they're going to add cancers, but they're going to add more. But are they going to add more money to the fund? It's crazy. Every time we got a fight, it's two years since Obama um, signed that bill, and nobody's gotten ten cents. So I guess uh, basically one of the reasons that this whole situation really annoys me, and I'm kind of truncating what's in here, is that we went through all kinds of crap to get, you know, special medical attention for the people who helped clean up that mess in the first place, and it seems like it's kind of a no-brainer. You know, that that's kind of an obvious thing that should be done. But we had to go through all kinds of garbage to get this act passed. And I remember the Republicans were filibustering it in an effort to try to force the Democrats to vote on um, things the way they wanted it. Like something like this was something that was turned into a political tool and fought back and forth about um, in regards to whether or not, you know, we should have this compensation for these people. Yet all the members of Congress, if they serve for like, I think it's like five years or something, get a lifetime pension, you know, and crazy medical benefits. You know, so, you know, and the reason I said that this might lead to something else is that especially if people's insurance companies or if there's going to be lawsuits, if it comes down to this, are going to end up having to take samples of this stuff, you know, and see what was in it that could be causing cancer. So what do you think, Aaron? Uh, that's an interesting thought. I didn't, didn't consider the fact that there would be tests on dust. But uh, the, on the other hand, you know, doing a chemical test on something only reveals what you test for. I mean, you're not going to sure. If they're going to test it for asbestos and things like that, it's not going to turn up um, the thermite. Which I mean, that's already been tested. We already have that information. But yeah, I mean, I guess it also depends on the political will of the investigator, the investigators involved. I mean, if they uh, if if, the, if there's anybody on the, the panel who actually is interested in that information, then, then maybe it would go to something else. But I don't know. I, I'm always skeptical. <laughs> One can only hope. Um, so now uh, I'm going to move on to the topic of uh, something actually recently. Actually, no, before I do that, um, Muslim hero overlooked at the 9-11 memorial. Um, this is another thing I've been dealing with online quite a bit is r racism against Arabs because of 9-11. I deal with that far more often than I wish, and ironically, I deal with it more on my private 
Facebook than I do here, but I had to deal with some idiot today who said that, you know, we need to get rid of all the ragheads. And I was like, really? Like this guy? And I posted the link to this article about the Muslim man who kept going back in the building to save people and stuff. And that's, I guess, what we're going to get into now. But uh, Mohammed Salman um, Hamdani was on his way to his job at the DNA Analysis Lab at Rockefeller University on September 11, 2001, when the 23-year-old EMT and police cadet raced to the World Trade Center to lend a hand. It was months months before Hadani's mother learned that her son's body was found in nearly three dozen parts, and his name was specifically written into the Patriot Act's legislation, where he is recognized as a Muslim American hero for offering a rescue assistance only to perish in return. A decade later, however, the young Pakistan-born scholar isn't remembered at ground zero for his bravery as a first responder and budding police cadet. Instead, the name Mohammed Salman Habdani is on the final panel at the site of the former World Trade Center, where 10,000 people have been visiting daily to pay their respects. There are sections reserved for first responders and policemen alike. Hamdani, however, is listed along with all the others that died on September 11th and had, uh, and had no right to be at the site. Those people, according to the officials involved in the memorial, are those with only loose connections to the World Trade Center, to Hamdani's mother, the connection between her son and the building that took his life is much bigger than that. Quote, they do not want anyone with a Muslim name to be acknowledged at ground zero with such high honors. Talat Hamdani, um, uh, sorry, Talat Hamdani, tell, um, no, 60 years old, tells the New York Times, they don't want someone with the name Muhammad to be up there. Indeed, authorities have been quick to question the Muslims' place in the history books with 9-11 and have been enacting that, that way since the immediate aftermath of the attack. Ms. Samdami recalls police questioning her about, his son, about her son as early as October 2011, and while she waited, still unsure of her son's body was among the World Trade Center's wreckage, officials were more concerned that a uh, Muslim-American from Pakistan with a degree in bio biochemistry was doing that Tuesday morning that whether he was alive or dead. So the only time they talked to this lady was to find out if her, if her son was in some way involved. Um, anyway, she was finally informed that her son's remains were found in Lower Manhattan five months earlier. Ten years after the fact, her son is remembered at the 9-11 memorial at the site of the former World Trade Center. But the fact that he gave his life to help others is forgotten. It shows an enormous amount of or lack of imagination on the part of the NYPD and the museum not to figure out a way to acknowledge adequately the special sacrifice he made and that his mother endures daily. Interface Center of New York Executive Director Reverend Chloe Breyer tells the Times, Hamdani's strife has been only one example of New York's ongoing attack against those that suffered from September 11th, but those, fight, uh, those whose fight has been failed to be recognized. At last year's 9-11 memorial dedication, first responders were excluded from receiving tickets to the dedication ceremony, those same men and women that raced to the ground zero and lived to tell the tale have also been denied coverage from cancers developed after 9-11, despite a study from Dr. Uh, David Presnan. I guess we were just talking about that in a different article, that they finally fixed that. But you know, the New York City Fire Department, including the exposure to the air in the aftermath of the terrorist attack, signaled a direct correlation to rising cancer. So we're almost done here. For Muslims living in New York that do not have ties to the attack, the events of 9-11 has forever changed the way the rest of the city looks at them as well. An ongoing report from the Associated Press continues to reveal that NYPD has repeatedly launched campaigns against minorities, specifically Muslims, 
including programs that installed spies in Muslim-majority neighborhoods to gather intelligence by means of clandestine surveillance. Uh, through New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg called the Hamdani's actions in September 11th an example of how one can make the world better. The mayor has since publicly stated that Muslims should appreciate the scrutiny that the NYPD is scathing them with as the security that comes as a result of its positive for New York as a whole. For Hamdani's mother, she doesn't think that anything coming out of the Big Apple is being done in a way to positively reflect her son or Muslims. In the end, she says, though, that this is only a minor detail. Uh, it says, and once again, your quote, you are no, you're, I mean, you're equal no matter where you are buried, whether your name is there or not. So I know you need to go soon, Aaron, but I wanted to just kind of ask your your take on the, the issue of like all the different uh, racism towards Muslims and specific attacks on Islam, although obviously we're both kind of leaning atheist, um, you know, just the generalizations that have been made. Yeah, I mean... Oh man, I think it it goes. I think it goes. Uh, I think it's not in, accidental in that sense because it, it really plays towards um, getting people uh, to to not care about the, the hundreds of thousands and, and millions in, in some of the you know, in the case of Iraq, people who are, are being killed, the civilians. Um, if they can look at them as non-people, then it makes it easier. I mean, I think that's a big part of the whole conditioning process. And any time you're going to be perpetrating a crime, is um, to dehumanize the victim. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely encouraged, even if they might, you know, on on the surface, say, "Oh no, we're not, you know, we're not by doing that, and it's not, it's not what we're about." Um, they they clearly encourage it. I've, I've had enough contact with the military to know that. Um, you know, overt racism is, is is not just tolerated; it's it's encouraged on a lot of levels. And well, it makes it much easier to ask somebody to kill you know civilians of a certain variety if there's an overt racism. I mean, we dealt with that in Vietnam. You know, uh, the World War Two. You know, we we're calling the Germans the Krauts and all that jazz. You know, it's. Uh, I'd say that in general, though, I mean, all, especially in the Christian conservative groups, uh, the all-out attack on Islam in particular, as if it's a more evil religion than any other, has been very blatant. And um, you know, so looking in that, uh, basically I want to thank you, Aaron, for being on tonight. I actually have a caller that's waiting in the queue who wants to be added, so... Um, if you got to go, uh, thanks again for being on and, um, please let, a. It, well, actually, before you do that, um, you've got a video that you're almost finished with. You're going to be releasing today. You want to take some time to talk about that? I know it's not related directly, but. Oh, it is related actually. Yeah, oh, okay. and that, that's, but yeah, it's actually one of the biggest parts of it. If, you, if you're analyzing a crime is, is motive. Um, and so the video I'm releasing today, I'm not going to go into any kind of conspiracy theories whatsoever, just going into the motive, um, looking at the nature of um, the petrodollar, what actually holds up the dollar, because the dollar is not backed by anything. It's not backed by gold, but you can only buy oil in dollars. And um, on an international level, uh, that makes everybody have to have dollars. I mean, they have to send us products and get cash. And um, Iraq was getting off of off, I mean, he got off of um, the dollar in, in um, November of 2000, 
And um, Libya was in the process of organizing a, a block of African countries to, to get off of the dollar. Uh, Iran has already uh, made, made agreements to get off the dollar. It's gotten off the dollar with, between Russia and China. It's already starting to sell its, its, its oil and gold. Um, so there's a pattern. You know, anybody who tries to get off of the dollar gets crushed. And um, I, I, it, the video is about how we got to where we are and where we're headed. And, it's, and it uses um, the, the very words of the people who were um, who were involved. I mean, dealing with uh, the politicians and the, the information that's publicly available. You and I actually did a show about the petrodollar and its link to uh, various oil wars uh, quite a while ago. I don't know if you remember, but um, to those of you who are listening, you can check out the archive about that. And obviously, um, they can find your videos on waitingforthestorm.com? Stormcloudsgathering.com. Okay, stormcloudsgathering.com. All right, well, thanks again for being on today, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Talk to you soon. Okay, so the caller we've got coming in uh, is named Jenny. Jenny, you wanted to comment on the show? Hi, yeah, uh, my name's actually Jimmy Russell. Jenny's my girlfriend. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm from San Diego, California, and last last 9-11, there was actually a huge blackout that went all around San Diego. It kind of went to Arizona, too, but they're trying to pin it on a... I'm not the conspiracy theorist type, first of all, but... But it went all the way to Arizona, and they were trying to they were trying to pin it on some asshole worker that that messed up and and made a faulty move and tore down the whole power grid, right? But mm-hmm. other people are trying to say that the reason why it happened was because some guy that was working on uh, September 11th, 2001, in New York, was coming to San Diego to uh, on a on a new on a radio station, and he was uh and he was going to talk about how 9/11 couldn't be true and he had supposedly he had these facts that could totally put uh the, I mean I mean totally put Bush in his place or whatever saying that he was he was behind it and all that. So that's why they were saying uh that's why they were saying the blackout happened, but here I have a clip showing uh part of what the guy said before the blackout happened. Here. Well then. <laughs> so, uh nope, not playing that, but uh thanks for calling in. <laughs> um in any case, uh moving on, uh today we've also got I've got two more articles and this is in regards to the issues about bin Laden. Um a bit more recent. Some of them are not super recent, but uh, one of the arguments, first of all, brought up here was uh, leaked bin Laden not buried at sea, body moved on CIA plane to the United States. Uh, this is once again Russia Today. The body of al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden was not buried at sea, according to leaked emails of intelligence firm Stratfor, as revealed by WikiLeaks. Stratfor's vice president for intelligence, Fred Burton, believes the body was bound for Dover, Delaware on a CIA plane and then onward to the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology in Bethadisa, Maryland, an email, as an email says. The official version is that the body of Al-Qaeda's top man was, who was killed by a United States raid in Pakistan on May 2, 2011 was buried at an undisclosed location at sea in a proper Muslim ceremony. If, body dumped at, if the body was dumped at sea, which I doubt, the touch is very, uh, is very Adolf Eichmann-like 
The tribe did the same thing with the Nazis' ashes. Burton commented in another email, Eichmann was one of the masterminds of the Holocaust by Nazi Germany. He was captured by Mossad agents in Argentina and tried in Israel, found guilty and executed in 1962. His body was cremated and his ashes were scattered at sea over the Mediterranean. Eichmann was seen alive for many months on trial before being sentenced to death and executed. No one wanted a monument to him, so they cremated him. But I don't know anyone who claimed he wasn't Eichmann. No comparison with sudden burying him at sea without any chance to view him, which I doubt happened, Jeffrey CEO George Freiman said. The U.S. government needs to, take, to make body pics available, like the MXs do, with OBL's uh, pants pulled down to shout down the lunatics like Alex Jones and Glenn Beck, <laughs> Burton says in another message. In another missive, Burton says Osama's body is a crime scene, and I don't see the FBI nor DOG letting that happen. WikiLeaks began publishing Stratford emails in late February. The archive was obtained by the hacker group Anonymous, which successfully attacked one of the firm's servers. More than 5 million emails were apparently stolen. Stratford is a U.S.-based intelligence firm called the Shadow CIA by some media. Among its clients are several U.S. agencies with, uh, um, and many big companies. The company relies on paid tips from informants placed in high circles of business, government, and security all around the world. Um, going along further along that line, actually, there was a book uh, recently published, allegedly um, by one of the Navy SEALs that was present for the alleged execution of bin Laden. Um, and it states, once again, sourced by Russia Today, bin Laden killed while unarmed. Uh, Navy SEAL's book debunks official death story. A first-hand account of the assassination raid against the former Al-Qaeda head challenges the official U.S. narrative, claiming bin Laden was shot as he peeked out of his bedroom, unarmed. He did not have a weapon or resist, as was announced. The Associated Press obtained a copy of the book titled No Easy Day. In it, the former Navy SEAL Mark uh, Bissonnette Using the pseudonym Mark Owen and, his, um, and assumed names for the SEALs who participated in the mission, described the 2011 raid in Pakistan in detail. His position right after the point man gave him a chance to clearly hear the suppressed gunfire immediately after the lead SEAL had seen a man peeking out of the door on the right side of the hallway. The author then described how bin Laden, the SEALs uh, later made sure it was him, ducked back into his bedroom the seals followed only to find bin Laden crumpled on the floor in a pool of blood with a hole visible on the right side of his head and and two women wailing over his body. Quote, we trained our lasers on his chest and fired several rounds. The bullets tore into him, slamming his body into the floor until he was motionless. The book reads, according to a report by the Huffington Post, which also purchased a copy of the book, the seals later found two weapons stored by the doorway, untouched. The author said, neither weapon was loaded. Quote, he hadn't even prepared a defense. He had no intention of fighting. He asked his followers for decades to wear suicide vests or fly planes into buildings, but didn't even pick up his weapon, Owen wrote. This passage contradicts numerous reports that stated that bin Laden was shot only after he returned to his bedroom, with the SEALs assuming he was searching for a weapon. Instead, Owen wrote, he was unarmed and had been fatally wounded before the soldiers entered the room. The book also refuted accounts that the SEALs were fired upon while they were outside the gate of the compound and that a 40-minute firefight ensued. 
Another revelation rebuts the accounts that bin Laden's body was treated with dignity before being given to a, full, a Muslim burial, burial at sea. The author described a cramped helicopter flight out of the compound with a seal named Walt sitting on bin Laden's chest as the body lay at the author's feet in the middle of the cabin. Already topping the bestseller list of online shopping websites, the book was set to be released on September 11th. The publisher moved the release dates up to, uh, to a week up a week to September 4th, quote, in response to overwhelming excitement from the public. The Pentagon announced on Monday that it is reviewing a copy of the soon-to-be-published book for leaks or classified information, the Associated Press reported. Up until now, the author had not submitted the book for pre-publication review that is required by the military secrecy agreements officials claim the seal signed. If Pentagon officials determined that the manuscript revealed classified information about the raid, the Department of Defense would, quote, defer to the Department of Justice. The said, that said, the former SEAL could then face criminal charges. Photos of Owen have already been posted on Al-Qaeda websites alongside calls for his murder, the AP reported. Um, I know that, uh, like, actually, there's a lot more about this book on Russia Today. And um, they're talking about suing this guy and all kinds of stuff about the different things that he said. But um, one of them here is uh, like no seal of approval. Commando writes unsanctioned book about bin Laden raid. I don't want to try to like repeat too much of the same information, but a new book detailing the raid that killed Osama bin Laden could lead to its author and publisher facing an investigation after it emerged the Pentagon had not granted permission for its publication. The much-anticipated account entitled No Easy Day was written by Matt Bisonette under the pseudonym Mark Owen. We've been over that. However, the author may now be subject to an investigation as he failed to consult the Defense Department before publication. Colonel Tim Nye, spokesman for the U.S. Special Operations Command, told Reuters, Bisonette had originally intended to publish the novel safely under the pseudonym Mark Owen in an attempt to shield him from the anticipated investigations that would certainly follow. However, a day after news of the book hit the internet, so too did his true identity. Matt Bisonette was first identified as the author by Fox News, later confirmed by the Associated Press. Bisonette 36 has been awarded five bronze stars and a purple heart, according to his service record, as reported by the New York Times. Bisonette had said in a press release through his publishers that the book is an attempt to set the record straight about one of the most important missions in the U.S. military history. No Easy Day is the story of the guys, the human toll we pay, and the sacrifices we make to do this dirty job, according to Bisonette. According to his publishers, Bisonette was one of the first men through the door on the third floor of the terrorist leader's hideout and was present at his death. However, none of the major government authorities involved in the planning and execution of the raid, the Pentagon, the White House, or the CIA, have vetted the book, and the author could face criminal charges if he reveals any classified information about the events of that fateful day. And it says, this book came as a surprise to folks at the Pentagon, a senior defense official said, speaking on condition of anonymity, or anonymity <laughs> as reported by Reuters. Naturally, we'll be inter interested to read the book when it's made available. The White House was equally surprised, as spokesman Tommy Veter said, we learned about, his, about this book today from press reports. We haven't reviewed it and don't know what it says. And the CIA, as far as we can determine, this book has, was not submitted for pre-publication review, according to spokesman Preston Golson. Dufton says the book was vetted by a former special operations officer provided by the author and not confidential, and no confidential information was revealed. 
So um, basically uh, what we're looking at here is that a Navy SEAL apparently wrote a book about the topic without um, asking anybody, you know, um, more or less for permission, you know, to put all that stuff up. So um, and uh, looking at this particularly now, I kind of come to the conclusion of this today's radio show. Um, <laughs> there was a lot more conspiracy theory stuff that was put on this show than I had originally intended, and I'm going to edit the uh, um, the description anyway. <laughs> but my main point to people was that um, even if you get away from all the conspiracy theory, even if you just stick entirely on the topics that people talk about, even in the mainstream, uh, there was no connection between 9-11 and Iraq yet we invaded Iraq. Um, you can find that stuff pretty easily. The documentary No End in Sight, for example, does a really good job of uh, bringing that out. And um, inevitably, that much of a conspiracy existed. And I'm going to remind everybody again by playing the same recording that I played when I started this broadcast one more time as I'm signing out of the broadcast. But um, thanks again, everybody, for, tu uh, for tuning in today. Uh, please visit my website, vradio.org, v hyphen, or v minus radio.org, uh, where you can find archives of more shows like this one, my must-see TV list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet. Um, not, obviously not as much about 9-11, but one of the best ones about the aftermath in Iraq is called No End in Sight, and it talks about how they literally asked Pentagon officials to try to find or stretch some story to connect Iraq and 9-11. Um, and uh, you can also, if you're interested, uh, V-Radio is a donation-supported broadcast. I'd be interested in any support you can give, obviously. And if you guys have any, I'm trying to do these news shows every day, so if you have any articles or matters of recent news that you think would be interesting to hear on a radio broadcast, my goal is to try to kind of provide some of these uh, services by reading from some of these articles of some of these news sites to people who don't really read the news, but might listen to it on the podcasts. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Um, I'm going to lead you guys, leave you guys with this, once again, recording of How to Create an Angry American. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. And, uh, and that uh, we will, in fact, find um, uh, weapons or, or evidence of weapons programs that are, are conclusive. I don't think we'll discover anything myself. It appears that there were not weapons of mass destruction there. You said you knew where they were. I did not. We know where they are. They're in the area around uh, Tikrit and Baghdad and, and uh, east, west, south, and north. Well, first of all, I, I haven't lied. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it talking about lies and your, your right. allegation that there was bulletproof evidence of ties between Al-Qaeda and Iraq. Was that a lie? Intelligence gathered by this and other governments leaves no doubt that the Iraq regime continues to possess and conceal some of the most lethal weapons ever devised. Are people going to find out the truth? And the truth will say that this intelligence is good intelligence. No doubt in my mind. I don't know anybody that I can think of who has contended that the Iraqis had nuclear weapons. And we believe he has, in fact, reconstituted nuclear weapons. Saddam Hussein is determined to get his hands on a nuclear bomb. 
We cannot wait for the final proof. He's got him. He's got him. The smoking gun. He's got him. That could come in the form of a mushroom cloud. Colin Powell didn't lie. My colleagues, every statement I make today is backed up by sources, solid sources. These are not assertions. What we're giving you are facts and conclusions based on solid intelligence. He has not developed any significant capability with respect to weapons of mass destruction. He is unable to project conventional power against his neighbors. Are people going to find out the truth? I have not suggested there's a connection between Iraq and the 9-11. You have said in the past that it was, quote, pretty well confirmed. No, I never said that. Okay. I, I never think said that, that is... No, absolutely not. What I said was, uh, it's been pretty well confirmed that he did go to Prague and he did meet with um, a senior official of the Iraqi intelligence service. Saddam Hussein aids and protects terrorists, including members of al-Qaeda. Secretly and without fingerprints, he could provide one of his hidden weapons to terrorists or help them develop their own. What did Iraq have to do with what? The attack on the World Trade Center. Nothing. He said there were three main reasons for going to war in Iraq. Weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein has gone to elaborate lengths, spent enormous sums, taken great risks to build and keep weapons of mass destruction. The claim that Iraq was sponsoring terrorists would have attacked us on 9-11. Before September the 11th, many in the world believed that Saddam Hussein could be contained. And that Iraq had purchased nuclear materials from Niger. The regime is seeking a nuclear bomb. Uh, all three of those turned out, turned out to be false. Uh, first, uh, if I might correct a misperception, I don't think we ever said, at least I know I didn't say, that there was a direct connection between September the 11th and, 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 and Saddam Hussein. Who does the president think he's effing kidding? Um, of course, it was information that was mistaken. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Those weapons of mass destruction got to be somewhere. <laughs> Nope, no weapons over there. <laughs> Maybe under here. When you have a precedent set like that, and you have somebody, George Tennant, acknowledging in his book that he knew that the administration was deceiving the American people into a situation that is murdering young men and women from this country and others, that George Tennant and Dick Cheney and Condoleezza Rice and George Bush et al. should be in fucking jail.